This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your living house host, Javi. And uh, all right. So we are here uh, talking. You live inside me. <laughs> we are talking Disney for the first time in a very long time. <laughs> oh, great. We're off to a great start. <laughs> I'm trying to be PG and I already made a joke of someone being inside me. We are doing Encanto, which if anybody is like me and you have kids who are young enough to have watched this movie so many times that I could probably recite this movie word for word. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... I appreciate this movie, and I guess before we even really get into it, people should know that my experience with this film is I the last time I saw it was like maybe a week ago, and I think I saw it more than once in that week. My kid loves this movie. My kid knows all the songs from this movie. She could probably do like a five-part podcast series on it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised that, you know, she's not guest hosting on this episode. Yeah. And then she even had her Encanto-themed birthday party, like, last month, so... Which I was at. I am very much just, like, into the world of this movie, and, uh, mm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to chat about it. Uh, and Javi, for you, I know weirdos... you watched this. I was, actually, we watched this movie last December... Or last, sorry, last November when it actually came out in theaters was the first time my daughter saw it. And then Disney Plus decided to do the wonderful thing of releasing this onto Disney Plus on Christmas Eve. And since Christmas Eve, I've probably seen this movie about 10 or 12 times. And just so you know, it's still in theaters as we speak. Like it's February, almost the end of February, and this movie's still running. So. That goes to show you actually how there is a market for movies about representation, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so Coco did this the year that movie came out the year before I became a dad. What? And I and I remember and I remember that movie having being really good. um, And I think it's still really like a great, fantastic movie. I'm going to say that. I probably this movie I like it a lot more. I mean, you know, it's like you're picking between two really good movies, so it's not like mm-hmm. I'm saying I dislike one of them, but I definitely like this one a lot more. And I think one of the reasons why is because you know the Mexican experience is my wife is Mexican American, but that's not really my experience as well. Like Day of the Dead isn't a thing that we ever celebrated um, growing up as like Central Americans, and I feel like in terms of the music the surroundings, the, you know, some of like the overall way that characters will speak. Like, I feel like it's more relatable in this. uh, Yeah. This, this, this Colombian movie seems a lot more relatable somehow. Yeah. Before anyone gets mad, just because Angel likes one over the other doesn't make the other one bad all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah. This does not invalidate the other one. (laughs) We tend to fall in this weird like thought process where it's like, if you like one, it's because you hate the other. And it's like, no, you can like both. Like personally, I lean more towards Coco than I do Encanto. They're both fantastic movies. And it's like, even though this is specifically like, you know, focusing on a lot about like Colombian culture and whatnot, it is very much telling the story of people that grew up in Central America as well. <laughs> like there is mm-hmm. a lot of relatable themes and there's a lot that kind of goes on in the movie that, you know, people from all over can really relate to, but specifically people who grew up or people who have uh, roots in Central America, Central and South America um and yeah and i was gonna say some people might have seen this movie like angel because you have kids some people might be like me where you watch it from a mental health and a like family trauma perspective because you know your cousin or your friend tells you hey 
this movie's all about generational trauma and it's all about like family values and traditions and everything they go through and it's a really interesting to watch this movie as i am like knee deep in psychological theories and studying uh cognitive behavioral therapy and studying social work in general (laughs) so it was really interesting watching this movie from that lens um as i try to be a therapist one day (laughs) i you know the other thing too is i think there's been a lot of uh i think a lot of people have mischaracterized as well like what this movie is about um like there's there's a like there's an aspect of it to where people have overwhelmingly looked at some of the characters in this movie as villainous. And I think that the more you do watch this movie and why I would recommend somebody who wants to really look at the, what this movie is really telling you kind of deal is you probably should watch it more than once. And you probably might have a different reading on it, depending on uh, your family experience. Right. And you know um, what? I'd argue this movie has no villain, and that the real villain, the real monster, is family trauma. <laughs> well, yeah, the real and, and and I'll get into more of like just what I think about like you know some of the theories on this as we get further into the movie. Yeah. So right. you just want to jump into it? I think we talked. In, I think we've we've you know talked about enough our experience let's jump into it sure uh i will say this before we actually do uh get into the plot of this as well is this is the second time that we're doing a movie on this podcast that uses the music of lynn uh, manuel miranda uh-huh and um yeah actually that's a good place to start let us yeah. start with the music because now that i've listened to a couple lynn manuel miranda soundtracks i finally saw moana I've seen this. I watched Hamilton way back before the end of the world started. And then we watched In the Whites together. Like, yeah, yeah, you definitely start picking up on certain, uh, the sound of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh And, And, you know, I, I feel like in terms of the movies that we've seen with his music in it, this movie kind of fixes a lot of the problems that we did have within the Heights. I think the way these characters look I think is also a greater representation of not just Latinos by the way that it portrays Afro Latinos like in, in Colombia, but also just like the fact that, Hey, you know, it, it, not even if it's just Colombia, but if you're living in parts of Central America, like Honduras, like there's a lot of Afro Latinos in, in, in Honduras. So it's mm-hmm. like, again, it is, it's taking the, like it's not erasing anybody from existence and what i appreciate about this movie is that yes it's it's taking all these different like colors of like the characters i guess you know what i mean different different colors shades yeah yeah like the different shades of people and just makes it relatable to a much wider audience that i mean you see isabella she's super native looking she's very indigenous looking like very Mm -hmm. features dark skin like and then you have like the uncle i forget what his name is is it Agustin? yes i think so but it's like the but yeah there's the afro latino uncle who's like who's also a big part of the story like that's yeah like like that's the thing everyone does get their shine everyone in their oh you're talking about i think you're talking about felix felix the uncle Felix, thank you. Yeah. I don't remember. I think Agustin. Like... Agustin is, I think, Mirabel's dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, unless you're an actual like blood Madrigal, you're kind of in con- like, like you're there, but you're definitely like a fun character, <laughs> not so mm-hmm. much to drive the plot. But um, yeah, no, definitely like as opposed to in the in the in the Heights where you know we definitely pointed out our issues with kind of like the weird colorism angle yeah it feels like this is a lot more representative which i was cool with i was really Mm -hmm. cool with that yeah um okay so the movie basically starts with our main character mirabel like introducing a bunch of the kids in the town to her family right and uh for those who don't know uh the word encanto is actually like means enchanted in spanish so you know, it's it's specifically like magic that they are living in a world of magic, and I think there is a lot of 
like when I was in high school, I used to take, a, you know, uh, those Spanish courses for native, like Spanish speakers, right? Even though like there's a mm-hmm. lot of it <laughs> that I didn't fully understand. Uh, I did used to take those courses. And I know that in those like, our, my, my teacher in that class was like just obsessed with showing us like different uh, stories from Latin America and specifically ones that deal with magical realism. So I do like, like, I don't know, just the fact that this does deal with a lot of like magic and, and like make believe, quote unquote, make believe like that kind of stuff. Like it feels very in the ink of those stories that I would read when I was like, you know, basically taking an ethnic studies course in high school. (laughs) No, I can see that. Like this story definitely does have the vibe of kind of like, I don't want to call them, I mean, I mean, they're not your Grimm Brothers fairy tales, but kind of like the fa- type of fairy tales we do kind of have in within like our own, you know, Latin culture, you know? Yeah. And, and, and we'll for get into, once, it's we not a cautionary into... tale like, you know, La Llorona or some other bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's not, a, it's less of an urban legend. It's less of a horror story than it is like, again, as we said, like magic. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Mirabel is introducing the kids in the town to her, uh, you know, to the members of her family. And in this, uh, her grandmother is the one that discovered this magic candle. Um, at this point, we don't know what it means. She, we know that she's discovered the magic candle that has turned their house into a magic house mm-hmm. uh, where everyone in this family, I guess, like grows up and lives in a nursery until mm-hmm. they reach a certain age. And once they do reach that age, that's when they the house basically gives them the gift of a bedroom in the house. Right. Mm-hmm. And who, you know, depending on their personality or whatever, they are given some sort of magical gift and their room, their bedroom is like turned into, you know, it's, it's whatever Something their gift reflects, is. Yeah, yeah. It reflects whatever, whatever uh, gift that they've been given. I'm sorry, it's all X-Men to me. <laughs> Abuela is just, you know, a small Latina version of Professor X. And her family are various mutant children. Well, what they do is, you know, a lot of them use their gifts to help the people of the town. Just um, like the X-Men. <laughs> so Luisa, Luisa is, uh, you know, out of the grandkids, Luisa's the, the strong, like, grandkids who has, like, superhuman strength. Colossus. So she's, like, she can, like, move houses and, you know, bri- I guess build bridges and pick things up with their bare hands. Um, Isabel is uh, our main character's, you know, sister, quote unquote, the perfect sister mm-hmm. who like her gift is like making beautiful flowers. And she's also just presented in a way that's a lot more traditionally beautiful than even Mirabel is. And mm-hmm. um, I don't mean like the fact that it's like that they're making Isabel look beautiful instead of somebody else. It's just that she is kind of like this picturesque um, beauty well, that, um, I mean, that's her whole thing, right? She's supposed yeah. to be, like, the perfect one. She's the perfect mm-hmm. sister, the perfect daughter, the perfect, like, uh, partner, because she's already betrothed to be married to, like, the hunky, like, Maluma-voiced guy um, <laughs> from the town. So it's, like, she she's supposed to be, the like, kind of, like, the gold standard that everyone else in the family is supposed mm-hmm. to kind of meet up or try to match up with. Um, meanwhile, they also have, no, yeah, and then after Isabella, we have, who was it, the, um, uh, oh man, why am I blanking, was it Dolores, the cousin that can, uh, hear, like, has super hearing? Yeah, Dolores is the one that, that hears really well, um, Mirabel's mom, uh, is, I think, forget what her name is i think it's julieta i think julieta is her name i think you are right she yeah. she can heal people with food um uh, that's her that's a gift power um what's Camilo. it called peppa peppa who is the like the the aunt that's usually wearing yellow she's the one that's uh married oh, to felix you her- mean storm <laughs> yeah she she's able to her mood i guess creates weather 
Um, so depending on how she's feeling, it'll either be raining or sunny or whatever. Um, yes, this is I, I yes, this is X-Men. <laughs> I told you. People will be like watching this and be like, oh my god, these fucking idiots, like they could be doing anything else, and instead it's like X-Men. Like, Everything right. goes back to superheroes, all right? So shut up. <laughs> um, who was it? It was I think her cousin Camilo is the shapeshifter and he can like turn into anyone and change his size. Um, and I think there No, Antonio. Antonio. Is it Antonio? He's he's oh, a little boy, yeah. So he's Camilo a little boy who can the... communicate with animals. And country, you mean the beast master? <laughs> he's awesome. He rides a jaguar. I'm like, he wins. He has the coolest power. All right. So basically, once we are kind of introduced to all of these characters, I'm sure I'm missing some and, and we'll get into it as we get into the movie. But with this introductory song, besides introducing us to the characters at the very end, that's when we find out that our main character, Mirabel is like somebody who has not been given a magical power which i completely it was one of those things that i pretty much thought going into it i don't know what it is it just seems very disney movie <laughs> like to be you know like oh everybody in my family is this except me you know it feels, i mean it yeah, feels it's classic it's the cinderella trope right like she's everyone else gets to go to the ball but cinderella until her fair godmother shows up like yeah like she's she needs something to kind of level the playing field there. Yeah. And um, so so she like still lives in the nursery and she's there with her cousin, with her young cousin Antonio. And I guess like this is good, this is supposed to be his last day in the nursery. And he's like not ready to take part in this like bedroom ritual mm-hmm. <laughs> that would that would that would give him his own magic room. <laughs> oh, don't magic say room that. ritual. All right, not, not bedroom ritual, magic room ritual. How about that? All right, I'm not oh, trying to yeah, come see my bedroom ritual. <laughs> <laughs> That's when the lights like get really low and blood red for some reason. <laughs> um so from there when when this is event is about to occur that's when we get the flashback to mirabel when she was supposed to get a gift and she ends up not getting one mm-hmm. yeah and it's like you're supposed to put the doorknob up against the wall and it like magically shows your room and hers was just that it never appeared right mm-hmm. yeah and so little five-year-old mirabel just kind of you know like what i do like is that they could have gone the route where she's bitter and angry and like lets that moment define her but she super doesn't so when you meet her she's actually like a really like sweet and bubbly personality yes Um, yes she is but i do also appreciate that i think i think what makes her relatable is that in our culture there is also like there is the daughter you know if you whether you have one or two like multiple kids like there's always the daughter that is kind of like saddled at some point with the caretaker of the family role like Mm -hmm. you know beyond the mother and it's just like it it starts creating this like you know this kind of familiar thing to us about like you know the pressure you know Mm -hmm. like it's it's I think Mirabel is a pretty good stand-in for the responsible daughter who or son depending or son yeah depending on how your family is the responsible child who takes up a lot of the parental duties or responsibilities in the household maybe even when you have adult parents sometimes you're you know they are the one that is there to assist their parents with you know whatever things they need help with in terms of filling out paperwork you know getting to doctor's appointments and stuff like that like the the, the child who does all of that and then also receives little to no praise for the work that they're doing because it's just expected of them yeah you're the first gen kid that has to learn how to you know translate legalese for your parents (laughs) with your third grade reading comprehension (laughs) 
trying to figure stuff out. Meanwhile, you're essentially trying to teach yourself whatever homework you do have to learn because you can't really like bug your parents about it too. Yeah, I wouldn't mm-hmm. know nothing about that. That wasn't me. No. <laughs> um, this movie didn't strike a chord or anything. <laughs> so it's like once he is like, you know, starts singing, goes through that where like you get the tension of the scene to where is Antonio going to get a gift or is he not going to get a gift? And it's like, either way, it feels like it's going to be something negative for Mirabel. It's like either he's going to get the gift and he's going to be like everyone else in the family and she's going to be further ostracized mm-hmm. or he's not going to get a gift. And because he wanted her to hold his hand on the way over to the door, oh, maybe she gets, <laughs> maybe she gets left like being blamed for like, you know, the fact that he didn't get a gift like to the point where maybe they feel like she's cursed him or poisoned him. <laughs> from getting a gift because of it am i the only one who felt this tension when this scene was happening no no i felt the same way i was like if he doesn't get a uh if he doesn't get a gift after this then family might turn on her and they might try to like burn her <laughs> burn her at the stake burn, burn the non-witch burn, curse the non-believer <laughs> like i was expecting the same thing but of course that doesn't happen you, Antonio gets his room and a giant party breaks out and everyone enjoys it. But like you said, uh, Mirabel, no matter what, Mirabel was going to have a um, bittersweet moment where even though Antonio gets her gift or gets his gift, she has to relive the fact that she, even through no fault of her own, mm-hmm. feels like a failure because she's not like the rest of the, the Madrigal family. And you know what? I'm going to say this. You and I live in a family with lots of cousins, and I don't think... Obviously, like pe- members of our family don't do this with the intention of upsetting us, but mm-hmm. don't you have moments sometimes where you like see other members of your family, like cousins or relatives, that are doing, quote-unquote, you know, well, better? You mean better than us? <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, perceptionally better than us, right? Like, obviously, like, in any case you know we don't know what anyone else is going through at any given moment but it kind of like that like that isabel like outward perfection kind of deal like yes like we all have moments where we see other members of our family doing what is traditionally considered successful good better than all of us and Mm -hmm. you feel like you're the ostracized one in the family because what you're doing isn't doesn't exactly line up with that it's funny because you and I have talked about it before where it's like we like you know because you and I decided to go different routes as far as our careers go and it's something for that's something difficult for someone who emigrated to this country and doesn't understand kind of like the new norms to kind of explain to somebody else it feels like we're just the outliers on the outside while you know, other people who picked more traditional um, career paths or like, you know, it's something understandable. It's something that people, and more importantly, and it goes back to the whole thing. Everyone has different um, drives in life. Everyone has different goals. Everyone wants to do something different. You know, like I wanted to get into mental health. I wanted to get into social work because that, I mean, that's just me. Like, that's just, that's just what I'm, I wanted to have vicarious trauma and (laughs) and make zero money dealing with that (laughs) you know like um and you know but but that's the thing is like when we come from certain families some people don't understand that part and it's like yeah it it is very it can be very ostracizing it can make you feel like you're on the outside looking in and like you said that you know our family or families in general don't do this with any intention to hurt or harm it's just one of those weird byproducts that happens yeah and, you, there, there's so many people for you to be compared against that you find yourself in lots of moments feeling less than or more than you know mostly less than but <laughs> it's like it, it that's the feeling that i get when when you know i was going through the waiting on a miracle song mm-hmm. um you know everyone else is celebrating except her and it's just like i don't know this feeling of anxiety that like <laughs> that she might be getting or just that came over me while she's like going through that um <laughs> no i trust me you weren't alone there was there 
like I, I was telling one of our cousins, the one that really told me to to watch the show. I'm not gonna out them because I don't know if they want to, you know, their name out like that. <laughs> but I remember I was talking to them, and uh they were just like so which character do you see yourself relating to i'm like literally i've related to all of them at some point in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but obviously like mito bell's our main character that's the one whose perspective we're kind of following throughout so you do see yourself in her a lot and yeah especially during this thing the waiting on a miracle you just can't help but feel bad for her and it's like so after that like during the cell or as she leaves the celebration um that's when she we start noticing that not everything is as it should be and that mina bell sees that casita the 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 living house right uh it's starting to crack and we see the Mm -hmm. the candle uh kind of give way for the first time and so begins the chicken little where mina bell goes running back to the party and tries to warn everyone and when she tries to bring abuela and the rest of the madrigal and the town out um you know everything looks okay everything looks back to normal um and you know this gets mirabel labeled as just kind of like jealous and kind yes of like, she gets labeled as jealous and i'm gonna say this too it is very relatable to mm-hmm. go up to your you know adult parents and like be like hey i know something like this is a thing that isn't working or something is wrong and we all need to do something about it. Like how many times have we been in situations like that where we bring something up to our parents and we get so immediately dismissed in such a, in such a deflating fashion that is just like, yes, it, it, it's, and this is where I think people who are not of our culture who have watched some of this movie and are just like, oh, well, obviously the grandmother is like the evil character in this because of it. And it's like, and it's just, it's, yeah, again, it's so funny that, that through the cultural lens of this movie, like that is really where the conversation exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> i know it's like the worst because like i, I think uh the the grandma's name is alma right mm-hmm. yeah abuela alma and it's like you understand where she's coming from where she definitely like she she wants the town like she's she wants the madrigals to continue to be like kind of like the protectors and like the 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 keepers of the town and she doesn't want people to lose their faith but it's like god like <laughs> there's no reason for you to write her off right away except there (laughs) except there is right and no one wants to talk about it but it's Mm -hmm. the fact that she doesn't have the quote-unquote gift or the same gifts as the rest of her family that they and it goes back to the whole viewing lesser right but i think i think after that um mina bell does overhear her grandmother praying for um praying for like to keep the miracle safe and I think um, after that is when she, when Dolores mentions um, mentions something about Luisa, right? That she heard Luisa um, also kind of talking, either talking to Alma or, or something happened where Luisa, uh, the super strong um, sister, kind of knows that something's wrong with the, um, with the miracle. So uh, Mirabel wants to come, you know, she wants to talk to her. So she tries to talk to her at breakfast uh, to which Alma uh, kind of like shuts down and has Casita like move Mirabel around so that she can't talk to Luis. <laughs> so finally she ends up talking to her out in the town while Luis is doing her rounds, helping everybody. And this leads us to uh, probably the kind of like, one of the more popular songs from this movie, uh, those movies, Surface Pressure, uh, which I guess mm-hmm. is the one that people relate to the most. And it's essentially Luisa just singing about uh, how she, because of her gift being the strong one, she has to put on the uh, kind of the facade of being able to take on any problem that comes on. And she has to carry the weight. She has to be the one that um fixes everything and she just and and, you know all she wants to do is just not worry about stuff for once but that's not her role her role is like the problem solver and um 
you know, it was a really cool video or really cool, really cool uh, montage they did for, for that music. And it was great because I, you know, you hear her vent and like Mirabelle just has the exact reaction you should have when a friend opens up or when a family member opens up and kind of tells you, hey, this is what I'm going through. She literally just hugs her and says, I'm so sorry that you feel this way. And I'm so sorry you've been going through this and that no one's like heard you out. And I was just like, oh, my God, yes, <laughs> finally, someone is listening to people. <laughs> like, it was completely different than the, um, it's different than, than the other, like, I can think of, like, older movies where it's like, no, but that's your job. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And it's like, this movie acknowledges, like, no, it's okay to feel the way you do. You're, va- you know, it's like one of the first not one of the first Disney movies because I still haven't seen um, you know like I still haven't seen the one about like the emotions I forget what that one's called but you know it's like she validates her feelings and she validates what she's going through and she makes her feel better like just simply by just talking and letting her like vent her emotions out and I was just like dang like <laughs> like that was awesome she just had literally a breakthrough by just have letting her talk and it was fantastic you know and this is where Louisa like mentions and she she reveals that there is truth that um, something's wrong with the miracle because Louisa actually felt weak at some point. Like she not just weak in that she couldn't take pressure, but in the sense that she could not like use her super strength, um, which kind of gives more, uh, you know, it, it gives more evidence to Mirabel that something's wrong with the miracle. Yeah, it's and, not just her. It's not just her like telling people and no one listening to her. Instead, it's like now like people are starting to realize that something is in fact wrong. Yeah. And then um so after yeah, so after she has the discussion with um or she has that talk with Luisa. I forget how exactly, but this is where um, where Mirabelle discovers um, or she she finds out about uh, about Bruno, right? About uh, Bruno disappearing. Yes. Um, well, we I f- mean, it's they. Yeah. They, again, in the in the opening song, she mentions him and that the fact that no one talks about him. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, once she actually starts looking for him, then we get the really ultra popular song like so popular that it's on the radio and i hear it once a day really we don't talk about bruno's song yes this is like a legitimate hit for disney like i had no idea it was on the radio yeah this thing is on the radio every day it Mm -hmm. has reached like the levels of those you know like in the 90s when disney would do like they would have vanessa williams like sing a cover of beauty and the beast like yeah, on the radio yeah. and stuff like that like that's how popular this has gotten now to God where damn. it is like on radio stations like being played <laughs> that's crazy yeah yeah so bruno like angel said was mentioned in the beginning but then there's the joke of we don't talk about bruno um which takes us to the extended song uh where everyone talks about how well this is also where we find out that what bruno's powers are that he had the ability to see the future or that he had visions um and but the thing is that bruno would have visions of negative futures and when they would come through or come true people would blame him and kind of like you know they assume he was doing it on purpose um and that's why a lot of the the, that's the 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 funny like the comedy in this song is that it you know everyone makes him out to be like this ultra villain like when uh when the shape-shifting cousin turns into him that's when he's like he's like seven feet tall and he's got like rats hanging on his back he just makes him look like this cartoonishly over-the-top villain character um but they but pretty much they they find out that on the day of mirabelle's uh door uh ceremony or uh door yeah i think that's what we call it 
she was um he had a vision and ended up disappearing after that mm-hmm. so uh which leads me to bell to believe that the the what's called the the secret to saving the miracle is in uh bruno's room so she ends up going and finds out it's this giant spiraling staircase <laughs> along his the bedroom cliffside. literally looks like the cave of wonders from aladdin if we're talking disney like it does like huh? i swear i was waiting for a giant blue tiger to come out and ask her who <laughs> who disturbs his slumber <laughs> it's like she like marches for hours she gets exhausted she finally gets up to the top and she's like able to swing her way across the cliff um and at that point is when you start noticing all the rats kind of around the the like the main temple area and as she goes into the like main chamber, she starts collecting these like kind of glass, like they look like glass shards. And as she starts putting them together, she sees that, you know, the she sees that the the casita is like falling apart and that the miracle is dead. And it's a picture of uh, Mirabel in front of it, which leads, you know, her the the immediate um the immediate immediate assumption is that Mirabel's the reason why the house falls apart and why the miracle dies. Uh, at this point, the the chamber starts collapsing or certain. I'm sorry, it doesn't collapse. It fills with sand, uh, which Mirabel is able to escape. Uh, and as she makes her way down back down to the house, she's like in a panicky moment. You know, she has to talk to somebody, and she reaches out to her dad. Um, the accident prone oh man what's his name Agustin I think Agustin yeah the accident prone Agustin <laughs> <laughs> so oh one thing that I did I don't know literally because my daughter is so obsessed with Mirabel and like you know even like addresses her and like appreciates mm-hmm. the fact that she wears glasses because my daughter wears glasses she like continually insists that the character of Agustin is me in real life <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. That's cute. Well, that's what's funny is I remember I was like checking. Uh, uh, there was something online where people were saying it's really cute that um, that Peppa's husband. I think it's Felix, right? He's really yeah. good at calming down her emotions. Like they're they're the you know they play into what the other needs. Like because she's so hot and cold, he's able to kind of mellow her out. And because Agustin is so accident prone, it makes sense why he's with uh, Mirabel's mom who can heal people with food. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. I did not even think about that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's constantly getting stung by bees and it's always funny because he looks all swollen and messed up and she goes, here, just eat something and then he's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I, yeah, I appreciate that this character is there for her and is ready mm-hmm. to go up to bat for her. Um, I think both of her parents are, but specifically uh, her father. They're not your traditional Disney parents. (laughs) I'll say that, which I really like. Um, Because Mirabelle opens up to him and tells him everything that she learned. And my favorite, this is, you can't top this comedy, all right? I I hate it and I love it at the same time. But he's like, okay, we'll just not talk about it and make sure, you know, we'll we'll deal with it after dinner. Just right now, the important thing is that we stay quiet and no one finds out about it. And then as the door slowly opens, you see the lotus in the background. And she's like, oh, I've heard everything. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that's really good. So the lotus um, finding out um the family's preparing for this giant this giant dinner where um isabella is supposed to get uh proposed to by i remember the character's name (laughs) i don't want to just call him maluma the entire time mariano there we go so mariano's supposed to propose to her at this like family dinner and as the dinner goes on, uh, Mirabel's trying to kind of put, trying to push Mariano to to uh, propose right away. Mm-hmm. And the entire, you know, like it cuts to 
as it cuts to um, Mirabel doing something, it cuts back to uh, Dolores, who is going down the line, telling her siblings and telling her <laughs> mom and dad. And like so, it cracks are appearing everywhere at this point. And, uh, you know, they're continuously telling the townspeople that there's nothing going on. And this is the scene where all the cracks are starting to appear in like their most like clear form. Yeah, at this point, Luisa, they asked Luisa to bring in the, the piano and Luisa has a breakdown because she's not strong enough to move the piano anymore. <laughs> like, everyone's trying their best to try to keep up appearances, but it, finally, um, it's revealed to Abuela that uh, Mirabel, or, or uh, Bruno's vision about Mirabel in the, in the house falling apart. Um, and like you were saying, they're trying to... You know, like they're trying to reassure the town, but at this point, it's more, um, it, it's more than a form. Like they know that something is wrong and that you know something bad is going to happen to the family. So it's yeah. like um, as everyone starts losing control of the power, she starts following the rats into the house, like inside and in between the walls and whatnot. And that's where we finally meet uh, her uncle Bruno, played by John Leguizamo. Who has really endeared himself to me in the past like couple years, honestly. I, I've always kind of liked John Linguizamo, like from even in weird shit that he's been in, like Spawn and uh like <laughs> in the nineties. Mostly Spawn. <laughs> and then he was also in that really bizarre like Romeo plus Juliet movie that uh DiCaprio starred in in the nineties. And yeah, I, I've that? always had a soft spot for him. Oh, yeah, I, didn't know he's, he's, I think he's Julia's brother in that. Or he, oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, he ends up. So this is where Mina Bell is able to meet him. Um, you know, as they're living in the house, or you know, she finds out he never left the house. Uh, but he did uh essentially that he left after he had his vision because everyone blamed Bruno anytime something bad happens, but what people n- never understood about their power or his power was that he could see possible futures and all his visions uh, weren't really set in stone. So while he can see that, you know, to some, you know, depending on how you look at his vision, um, you know, it showed Mirabel could either destroy the the promise or, or not the promise, the Encanto, or she can save it. Um, but especially after she lost her powers, he didn't want the vision to be you know misinterpreted by the family and think that she was destroying the family so he ended up disappearing instead uh to kind of like save her from that which you know like yeah you know it 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 makes you feel things (laughs) it makes you feel for the guy that the entire time everyone thought that he was like this villain and this bad guy and it turns out he's actually just been you know, he cares about his family and he loves his family. Um, mm-hmm. And then, no, you know, he was doing what he thought was best, uh, even when he left for them, uh, left from them, right? But much like the other characters in this movie and much like us culturally, like it's one of those things to where like we don't talk about our insecurities very much. We don't talk about like problems that we have. Like, we are so repressed as, like, mm-hmm. a culture. Like, people in Hispanic culture, like, we are so repressed, even in our own families, that it's, like, it's no shock that people grow up so used to having to repress their own feelings and then, like, resent themselves with other people that they're supposed to care about. Like, <laughs> it is mm-hmm. so It is so how we live our lives, and it doesn't make any sense when you seriously think about it. And I think what, where Mirabel's true gift is, is, is not just with Luisa and then Bruno, and then even after, you know, she has the conversations with Bruno, and she kind of, like, coaxes him into starting to leave through the walls of the house Mm -hmm. um she's going to like even bruno's vision is going to suggest that mirabel also helping her sister to like kind of well really you think just like 
like she's supposed to forgive, hug, or show that she loves her. And realistically, mm-hmm. what Mirabella is actually doing is she's healing everyone in her family. <laughs> like she yeah. she is the emotional healer, which is a gift that requires no magic, but is what's truly helping everyone. <laughs> and that's what's interesting is that Mirabel very much becomes like the anchor of the family, much like her grandma. And that's why it, it was something I wanted to get to more closer to the end, but I think kind of lends itself here is that you see her fixing the problems without quote unquote powers, but literally just using empathy and just like talking to like talking to her family and validating what they're going through. Right. And that's kind of, and it's really interesting because Casita like helps everyone, but specifically takes orders from Mirabel and from Abuela like those are the two people that Casita seems to respond to the most that's true and I think it's interesting because that like you mentioned earlier is that they're both the the caretakers of the family and it's interesting because neither of them have you know powers in that sense like they don't have these special abilities the rest of the Madrigals have yeah um and yeah, like you said, it's revealed that the way to save the family is to heal some rift between her and Isabella. And when she takes it upon herself to go visit her sister's room, she <laughs> immediately tries to fake apologize and ends up into a fight with between her and um, between her and Isabella where you know she calls her a perfect i forgot a perfectionist princess or something like Mm -hmm. that uh, which causes isabella to get mad and forces a cactus to pop you know pop out of like one of her flower beds yes um for the first time not having control complete control over something um you know because isabella you know she 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 tells me about that her entire life she was supposed to be like this perfect and this perfect daughter and had to follow the rules and had to be the one to kind of carry what the madrigal name was about mm-hmm. and she never got to be herself much like her sister luisa so you know her song what else can i do is all about is all about that is all about exploring what she can do when when she wants to be herself um and it's like you know they have all the the vines and the flowers going all over the house like she ends up changing her entire style where she has like these technicolor like a black dress with technicolor splotches all over um and you know finally in that moment like mirabelle and isabel and isabella are able to kind of make up and they hug in the middle of the song but much to abuela's kind of like um disdain she she blames mirabel for for luisa losing her strength and for isabel to to you know be out of control and you know she kind of berates her in front of the family and and when i tell you that i teared up when Mirabel tells her grandma I was never gonna be good enough for you any of us were I was like oh my god (laughs) it's difficult it is very difficult because I'm sure that we all feel like we are in situations where we have to have these awkward very difficult conversations with family members like it is (laughs) there's nothing fun about it and uh yeah to see someone actualizing it in animation it's like and this isn't even a pixar movie like this is the the disney studio that really does kind of like the frozen style like animation movies like Mm -hmm. it's the first time a non-pixar disney movie like just absolutely punished me (laughs) in that way (laughs) just started pistol whipping my emotions and my trauma (laughs) Because I start, you know, time to open up and use the podcast as my own, like, you know, therapy session. (laughs) I've had this conversation several times um, and it's never easy. Like, it's never easy coming to that realization that you're just not good enough to what other people's expectations of you are. Is that there's always going to be someone that has something to say about what you're doing, 
you know, what job you have, how you're raising your kids or where you went to school or whatever. There's always going to be someone to make you feel self-conscious about what it is you're doing. And it's like, at a certain point, you have to like really like call it out, not to try to lose that relationship, but just for yourself and to really come to terms with the fact that, no, I'm living this life for me at this point. And I'm sorry if it's just not good enough for you, but at a certain point, you got to stop sacrificing your happiness for other people's approval, you know? And it's like Mirabel and her sisters are final. Well, Mirabel is definitely at that point. <laughs> and I think, you know, because you see what the, what the status quo was doing to her sisters. It was mm-hmm. forcing them into a life that none of them wanted. And that's why Louisa was losing her strength. And that's why um, Isabella was so distant from her sister. And that's why Dolores was almost giving up on the man of her dreams because she, he was supposed to marry um, Isabella. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like at that moment, Mirabel, um, you know, like the, or it's at this point that Casita starts kind of collapsing, like the house starts falling apart. Um, it's kind of like their last ditch effort to try to save the miracle. And it's like, as everything starts falling apart, people lose con- complete control of their powers and in with like a last bit um Mirabel tries to like climb up to the candle to save it before it can go out completely uh the house manages to you know protect her as she falls and you know at that point you see the candles gone out and that the house is kind of falling apart so like in the confusion of it all that's where um Mirabel runs off into I, I, the forest jungle i guess it's supposed to be kind of like the rainforest right so it's like she runs off into the forest and i think it's uh yeah i think abuela shows up and this is where we get to see um we get to see abuela's story and we get to see that she you know she's caring you know she she met her husband um you know and they you know they date of course they get married they because it's still a disney movie (laughs) they get married they have the the triplets um and one day they're driven from their home village by it's never said who no but they're driven out by violence um And so the entire village abandons their home and they start going towards where the Encanto is, uh, where they end up getting chased down by the men and horses again. So in order to protect his family, um, Alma's husband goes and essentially gets, (laughs) it's implied, mind you, (laughs) we're not saying anything that's, like, it is graphic, obviously, if you know exactly what kind of went down, but essentially he gets macheted to death by these <laughs> three dudes on horses, where I was like, God damn, Disney. <laughs> yes, yes. And but I, it but it's, does this in, again, it does it in the very Frozen-esque way, you know, mm-hmm. um, with the animation through the pain on, you know, the grandmother's eyes as it's happening. And uh, this song that plays during this uh, montage, which is just insanely difficult to watch. And it's one of the scenes where I tear up probably the most. Uh, the song Dos Orguitas is actually uh, nominated for the Academy Award for Best edition, best Original Song. It's one of three Academy it. Awards that this movie is uh, uh, nominated for. It deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, yeah, I think, that's what it was. And I that think it's good husband. because what it does is, again, it, it you set up the entire time in this movie. You're looking at the perspective of one character and you're finding out, like, you know, why is everything so difficult for me? Why am I the one that's not good enough for every for anyone else? And why, you know, you know, like, just like, it's, it's all why about me. And then this is the moment where I appreciate the line 
where <laughs> where Abuela says, uh, you know, that I pictured a very different life. I was supposed to be a very different woman. And I think mm-hmm. no scene epitomizes exactly just like the trauma of this like thing as opposed to that it's like the fact that yes i was supposed to be somebody else and the circumstances here like forced me to flee the only place that i knew and had to create a life you know somewhere else and uh you know take the sacrifice of one member of my family and try to use that to build a whole new world for us to all live in and And just the immense the immense pressure that you live under to kind of keep things quote unquote perfect forever. And, um, you know, once you are looking generations into the future, it's like, you start to, you, you start to feel like things are going in a direction that you don't understand and you want to try to pull the reins back. And even then it's like, you know, this movie is just showing you that, Hey, things are changing and, you know, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's okay. It's okay. It's okay that this is happening. Yeah. And it's funny because I mean, that's our that's our family story, and that is not just our family story. That is literally anyone that whose family had to emigrate between the years of nineteen seventy nine and nineteen ninety two from you know. Oh yeah, specifically Central, America. Central American experience. A lot of it is people fleeing because of war and just like overall bodily danger. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so, like, they were able to capture kind of an entire, like, region's generational trauma so fucking well. And they were able to do it in a way where it's, like, where it can be easily digested by kids and by adults. Mm -hmm. And that's what's funny is because, like, I know a lot of people and I know a lot of folks, a lot of white folks. Sorry for making it a racial thing, but a lot of white folks that are like, oh, well, Alma is still kind of the villain because she didn't let the kids live her best life and it's like well that's not the point there isn't a villain the villain is every crappy thing they had to go through as a family the villain is the fact that like she like that's the thing there's so many layers and generational trauma is so complicated that even the people that are hurt that are hurting others Mm -hmm. um i know you couldn't see it because this is an audio like format but i totally did air quotes when i said hurting <laughs> but yeah when, when there's people that are hurting and they're hurting other people in their family specifically in this type of scenario right it's mm-hmm. usually because they have their own unresolved trauma they have their own issues like i find myself talking like i having to validate and talk through my mom's trauma all the time Mm-hmm. because she doesn't want to acknowledge she has trauma she doesn't want to acknowledge what she's been through whether it was the trauma of you know living through a civil war whether it was the trauma of immigration whether it was the trauma of having to leave her family when she came to this country you know and it's like people like you said people get so caught up on how it affects me that we don't think about how things were for others you know Mm-hmm. so i thought this scene was fantastic i i cried it broke me it broke <laughs> this is like the seventh time i got broken by this movie <laughs> but it was it was really good and it's like so after after they had that emotion kind of like that emotional uh, exchange and alma was able to to tell mirabel about her story um you know that we see that they get reunited with with Bruno, and Bruno is afraid to see his mom. He hadn't seen her in a couple years. Well, he hadn't like physically talked to her in a couple years, so he was expecting her to be mad and and to blame him. But all she does is hug him, completely embrace him, and and brings him back into the fold immediately. Um, yeah, and like they they all. You know, they all hop on a horse and they start riding back to the rest of the family. Um, yeah, and it was, um, yeah, and at this point, you know, the, the townspeople show up and they help the Madrigals um, rebuild the rebuild the house. Um, and once the, you know, the, the, there's this song kind of mirroring, I think it was All of You kind of mirroring the beginning where 
where Mina mm-hmm. Bell talked about how you know she's just I, I think it mirrors uh waiting on a miracle pretty well. Mm-hmm. Because I'm waiting on a miracle. It's like a bookend. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> that's a good way to put it. It's a bookend. Because she's, you know, mirroring that what what was going on and how she was putting her family because of their powers on the on this pedestal, right? Mm-hmm. And now she's realized that she's just as important and just as influential in this family as everybody else. Um because she's the next in line she's the next caretaker right she's going to be the future alma and uh the family the family ends up posing for another picture like they did for antonio's uh birthday uh but this time it includes mirabel and bruno and of course it ends in a in a goofy picture where everyone kind of shows off their personality a little bit or their new personality um and that rolls the credits, and that's Encanto. Yep. And, uh, okay. So, yep. I mean, do we really need to go through the do we like it? Because we both clearly like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's universally loved. It's nominated yeah. for three Academy Awards. It is, uh, you know, it's got music, again, as I said, music on the radio. Like, this movie's clearly good. It's clearly popular. I would clearly recommend anyone watch it. Um what I appreciate it more than anything is I think the discussion on this movie. This is a movie that I wanted to kind of do in some form or fashion on the podcast at some point, because mm-hmm. specifically, again, the cultural questions, like it is a movie that merits so much good discussion and uh, beyond just what's happening in the movie, as opposed to how we relate to it as an audience. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I appreciated the ability to be able to do that on this show. So yes, I do like this movie and uh, the reasons why were obvious as we were going through it, but I think it's something that is so wonderfully relatable. It reminds, I hope, you know, not just at Disney, but other studios are just realizing again, this is the benefit that you get when you start to create art that isn't just aimed at one particular audience, you know, Mm -hmm. like we now have, and again, it's like, then you have something that like, sure, we all, re- like, I like Coco and I relate to that movie and I thought that movie was good, but it's like, this was something that was even more relatable to me. Um, I appreciate that we have variety and not just the, because, c- you know, unfortunately, like in this country as an American, like Hispanic person who's not, you know, whose parents aren't from Mexico, a lot of stuff in this country that is like, it's either puerto rican mexican it's like all these other parts of you know latin america that is like it's it's you almost have to absorb some of it by proxy but you know you absorb some of that culture by proxy because it's the closest you can get and this just felt like something that was even more relatable and i hope that we continue to you know to go further um with future animation movies and just movies in general uh, and musicals in general as well. Like I, I think the fact that Lin Manuel Miranda is like now, you know, starting to appear in more in some sort of creative fashion in more Hollywood films, you hope that we're going to get you know even more Latin American representation on film. Oh yeah, he's a household name at this point, and it's like you know what go out there and keep putting on for the culture dude like <laughs> you're doing you're doing a pretty good job despite it like of course you know it, just because someone's doing good doesn't mean that they're not open to criticism just putting that out there specifically for eddie who listens to the show and still hates the fact that i call it in the lights <laughs> <laughs> yes i think it's funny that we again as i mentioned this is an example of all the things in this musical that was done really well Mm-hmm. In the Heights was just something that didn't work for us. And I think it's very clear if you go back to that episode, we explain why it didn't work. And I mm-hmm. think I think in many ways, it's it this feels like a, even though they're from different studios and different creative entities, it does almost mm-hmm. feel like a make good for some of the issues that we've had with some of these other things. But specifically, yeah. like, like, I'm going to get on a soapbox about this for a second, but all right. Mm-hmm. One of the movies that's nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture this year is West Side Story, the the Steven Spielberg remake and that movie is absolutely average it is not worth the 
Academy nomination that it has been given for Best Picture. This cast in that movie feels wooden. The story is just like, as even as a remake, it just feels so insanely dated. Mm-hmm. And the entire time that I was watching that movie, I was I felt like I was watching a, a great director be totally out of touch. And, um, you know, I, it, the fact that the characters were, we did have Puerto Rican characters and, and, and again, we're like some Spanish language stuff as we're watching it. And, and it's just, uh, it's the example with, along with in the Heights to me of like, yeah, this is probably not the way you want to do it. And then this mm-hmm. is more of an example of, yeah, this is, this is way exactly the way you want to do it. <laughs> hmm. No, I appreciate that. I mean, we always have uh, it's always hard come Oscar season, right? Because there's some movies that you're like, this is fantastic, and I absolutely see why this should be on here. And then there's some years where you're like, this is movie is literally Oscar bait meant for old white people <laughs> to make, you know, so that they can give credit to more old white people. <laughs> I mean, perfect example is the year that uh I was just talking to someone about this too. That year that uh, what's it called? Uh, Parasite won, and you know there was just so much movies, or there were so many movies that you know people were mad about that didn't win. I'm just like, suck it, nerds. Parasite was the better movie. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I love Jojo Rabbit and I love all those other movies, like, but they were mid compared to Parasite, and you got to be okay with that. Same thing with. You know, like again, like we talked about it, is we have a re- movie review podcast. We're gonna call out mid movies or problematic movies or, or ah shit. Well, we're gonna call out movies um, and give our opinions on them. That's just kind of how it works. All right, so we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, please continue to interact with us on social media, and uh, you know, thank you for continuing to follow in to follow this show as our output has become a little bit less regular. Um, you know, again, we're still working through the scheduling kinks and I think we're going to reach a pretty good point where we're consistently putting out the weekly episodes again. Uh, just bear with us while we're doing that. Um, yeah, I think right now, I, I don't want to promise that uh, we'll go back to the weekly schedule right away. <laughs> I mean, Angel and I are still kind of get, getting settled in with some recent life changes. So, yeah, um, I will say this: that I'm I'm very much uh, trying to squeeze in one movie before we end up doing the Batman on this show. Which, uh, so I'm I want to do that. The Batman, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll try our best. We'll try to get something out for your, y'all to listen to next week, and then be ready for Matt Reeves' Batman, baby. All right, so we appreciate you guys uh, continuing to follow the show, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Later, y'all.